you may think you know football. The faces that are as recognizable as the one in your mirror. Go eat now, go eat now. The refrains that are as familiar as the song that's stuck in your head. Who can make a play? I can. We're gonna be here all day, baby. I like this kind of party. Big players, make big plays, and big games. The game itself, both brutal and beautiful, requires toughness and grace, passion and skill. If you think it's only a man's game, well, you're sadly mistaken. For six days in March, the New Orleans Saints hosted 224 women from 17 countries for the third annual Women's World Football Games. Ace right, 22 zone on one, ready? Society has this one way that women are supposed to be and uh, football is the exact opposite. Women are supposed to be passive, they're supposed to be nurturing, but those are the boundaries that we're really working hard to break down because women can be aggressive, they can be physical, and they can be athletes. This isn't the lingerie league, and the women that play tackle football are no powder puffs. I tell people I play football, and I have to say, yeah, like with helmets and shoulder pads, and they're like, like y'all hit? Yeah, like we hit. They don't think we know football. We know football. We know our assignments, we know our alignments, we know our schemes. You're not gonna have all the time in the world because that's not football. Yeah. So when you see it, don't hesitate. Yeah, man. If you see it, throw it. Okay. And as you're getting that snap, it, throw it. And turning, don't, don't eye it all the way down. The event is part clinic, part camp, and all football. I don't think I realized just how hungry the women are to be great in this game. This is a rip drill for position. She's coming to block me. My goal is to get underneath her and get here because the running back is following her butt cheeks. so nice to be part of a global event where there are so many countries represented. It's quite different from country to country. Some places have lots of players here. Some countries it's still very much in its infancy. Football in Sweden is pretty small, so they don't think we have a ladies team, but we're growing every year. All the ladies in my team is like my second family. Being a part of this, being a part of this whole football family, it's so beautiful. I really hope that when people see that you can play as a girl and when you can show it back home that people will get more interested in it and want to go play and we can make a team hopefully someday. With my body type, you're usually not very appreciated. I was more quiet and always afraid to go in public. Then I started playing and my self-esteem completely changed. I'm now self-confident and here, I'm a star with my body type. I'm good. I started with football because I wanted to, to play a team sport that you can still join at the age of 30. My daughter, she really wants to emulate all I do. She keeps asking me when she can come down to start practicing with us. She's nine. She thinks I'm badass. <laughs>
It's been my dream to see football be available to all women all over. This is just the beginning. Women's tackle football may not be mainstream yet, but it's growing. You might not be accustomed to the sounds of these voices talking football. <laughs> Were you the one that slammed me? I was like, <laughs> that was great, that was great. You might not be used to seeing these faces wearing these uniforms. But know this, the women of the world football games are pioneers, helping football evolve into a global game, one not bound by nationality, culture, or gender. Women's football on three. One, two, three. Women's football! All right. <laughs> Did you guys like that video? I hope you guys are as fired up as I was. Woo! See it every time and it still gets me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started on that note. Welcome to the Commonwealth Club of California, coming to you from the Toby Family Auditorium. We're very excited to bring you today's special guest, Katie Sowers of the San Francisco 49ers. Today's program is brought to you by Visa. Thank you very much, Visa. Now, to get the conversation going, here's Michelle Miao, host of The Michelle Miao Show. Thank you, thank you so much for being here. The Michelle Miao Show, if you're joining us for the first time, is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. <laughs> We're so deeply excited and honored to have our guest here, Katie Sowers, the first ever LGBTQ coach in the NFL, and also making history again as only the second female coach in the NFL, and I think in history of the NFL. So Katie, thank you so much for taking time out to be with us today. Thank you guys for having me, it's so fun. One of um, uh, the reasons why I'm so excited for this moment is when the, the, the headlines came out, or I guess you came out <laughs> in a lot of ways. As a coach for the NFL, I, I thought finally I could ask one of our very own, what exactly is football? <laughs> well, you know, it's, let's start with it's a sport. Um, but, you know, one thing that you mentioned before, you said I was the first LGBT coach. Oh, yeah. But let me, let me just say, I actually have, um, I won't give his name, but I have, since I've been out, had a coach that came up to me that had previously coached in the NFL that came out to me as gay. Mm -hmm. um, he's not out, you know, in his profession. Um, so to me, he was a trailblazer, and you know, and even though he didn't come out, he was leading the way. Um, just by he was there before I was. I, you know, it was just my time to come out. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's that's the um, the part where we're going to talk a whole lot about is just the path of of coming out, choosing to come out, and how yes, it's no lie. It's, it's very difficult to be out in a, in the NFL. But before we get into all of that. Um, it's tradition here on the show to actually give a coming out story. Uh, I was reading about you and it just sounded like coming out was one of those things in your journey in which it, 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 it was very early on in, in some ways. Yeah, yeah, when I came out, I, you know, I, I grew up in a very um, religious family. My grandpa was the uh, president for a Mennonite college, Heston College, my mother was, the director of nursing at that college. And at that time, uh, if you wanted to ever teach there, you know, teachers could never be out publicly. Uh, they wouldn't get the job if they were out. And so I never knew how I would be accepted. I knew that my parents were very open, and, uh, but I didn't know how I would be accepted. And so it wasn't until about my junior year in college when I actually came out. And uh, I was in this long-term relationship, and. I broke up with this girl, uh, you know, and then like selfishly, like everyone always does, you see him with someone else and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you kind of want to be with them again, you know, in the most irrational way possible. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, was going through that and I was home and I remember going to the living room and my mom was watching TV and I went and I just sat down. I don't remember what was on TV. And I think I was probably just staring at the ground, just like, oh, God, it's going to happen. And she looks over, and she realizes that I'm crying, you know, about my irrational sadness of my relationship. 
And she said, oh, honey, what's wrong? And I said, well, it's about my best friend, <laughs> Ashley. And she said, okay. And I said, well, we were together, we were dating. And then I just started crying even more. And then there was a kind of a long pause and she looked at me and goes, and is she seeing other people? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And it was just like this relief. And so uh, I kind of just went into my bedroom and that was really the conversation. My dad came home. I wasn't ready to talk to my dad about it at that point. That was already too much. And my mom comes into the room and she's, I will never forget this advice she gave me. She said, Katie, you know, there's more to life than people. And I remember just like, we both just started laughing because we thought, okay, there's more to life than people. Really, life is about people. But that was, I mean, it was just this funny piece of advice that was not only saying, I love you for who you are, but also that I'm here for you. And so it was a pretty emotional moment. That's great. When, now, when did you know yourself that you were less? Oh, when, when I can remember memories of little child. I remember when I was like in first grade or something, I remember looking out the window and, you know, thinking about my school crush, you know, and it was, and my twin sister was the same way. My twin sister is also a lesbian and everyone always says, when did you come out to your twin sister? And we never did. We like, we've never, and when we joke about it, she should be like, Katie, I'm, I'm gay. And I'm like, Liz, I'm gay too. <laughs> I guess that's where we came out to each other, but we always just always knew. Uh, so it, it's kind of an interesting thing because we always get that question and we're like, we never did. We never had to. Wow. You're like the Tegan and Sarah football. We are. Yeah. yeah. We, should, we should challenge them to a, a little football game and then maybe they can challenge us to like a, a songwriting contest. Oh my gosh. That is awesome. That's awesome. I was going to ask, I mean, you know, just to follow up on that, uh, when did you fall in love with football? Early on. So when I was younger, I would say maybe about six or seven, I have all these journal entries, um, talking about how much I love football. And I, and some of the, it was every day after school, I go home and I play football and football is my favorite sport. And in one of my journal entries, I actually have, I stated, uh, since I can't play football, I guess I'll play basketball. And I remember the day when, so we used to, every Sunday, my twin sister and I, we would make a list at my grandma's um, Sunday dinner. It was always kind of a formal Sunday dinner after church. And we would always write down all the boys in the neighborhood. And we would, call them, you know, like with the cord and, you know, we'd call them and then pretty much we'd cross out all of them because I think they thought I hit too hard. I'm not sure. I had this <laughs> technique that I used when I was little where I would take their shirt and I would spin them around and then I'd just throw them down. It worked really well, but I don't think that they liked it too much. But uh, we would get this whole list of, of kids in the neighborhood to play football and uh, it was a really really fascinating sport to me. And because and, my dad never played football, my mom never played football. My dad was a college basketball coach. Um, but I remember one of the best Christmases, my dad got my twin sister and I some used football equipment from the college that he coached at. And it was probably the most stinky pads, practice jerseys <laughs> you could ever think of. But it was the best Christmas present uh, because he knew that that's what that's what we wanted. So, I mean, football, my love for football started at an early age. Do you remember the first professional game you went to? Uh, it wasn't until later in life, actually, until about in college when I went to a Chiefs game. Uh, but I was a big Dallas Cowboys fan when really? I was little. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, when, uh, when we were in elementary school, we all had to dress, probably everybody did this, where you dressed up like somebody that you really looked up to, and then you gave a speech acting like you were them. Like while everybody else was doing like Little House on the Prairie and their little dresses, <laughs> I had Deion Sanders jersey on. I remember he quit smoking at one point and I had like made this little pack of cigarettes and I remember throwing it at like, Deion Sanders. So yeah, that, I mean, I, I don't know how true that was. I don't know where I got that information, but that is what I remember about that speech. Many of us in the LGBTQ community, um, you know, we've had to carve our own path, especially in careers in which we hadn't always seen ourselves or, or, you know, ourselves as out people. And so for you, you absolutely did carve that path for yourself. 
I, you know, I, it, to me, it, it felt like it just kind of happened naturally. You know, it was not something that was ever, my, my goal in all of this was to be a football coach and to make a living being a football coach. And all of this was an added bonus. You know, if, if I could shed light on, um, you know, giving someone else an opportunity, because you, you don't know it's an opportunity unless you give someone a chance to see it. And so when I was little, I never thought football was an opportunity because I never saw it. And luckily, I had a second chance later in life. But, you know, it, it happened naturally. And, and hopefully, I opened doors for other young girls that can now uh, actually see a future in football. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort. And when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with, but work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. But there had been doors sometimes that did shut purposely because you're female, because you're LGBTQ. And like you mentioned earlier, coming out in college, that did impact the path Mm -hmm. from a career perspective. And I think also, you know, LGBTQ people, we have this unique way of of never quitting. And I never saw that you did quit. And, And instead, you know, establishing yourself, establishing relationships that matter, Kyle Shanahan, and then now the Niners, I mean, I can see how that felt organic, and I could see how much you just kept going. Yeah. You just didn't quit. Yeah, I, I always say that uh, sometimes bad things happen uh, to you that put you directly where you need to be. And for me, when I was, uh, I, I thought, so since I thought football wasn't an option for me, I decided I was going to be a basketball coach, because I knew I wanted to coach. So basketball was kind of my second love. And... So I, I took a victory lap in college. I don't know if anyone's done that before, but you know, I call it my victory lap. I had to take an extra year just to finish up some courses because I transferred in. I prefer to call it a victory lap. So when I, as I was taking my victory lap, I decided uh, my basketball team, I was going to this Mennonite school up in Indiana, and my basketball team needed help with coaches. Mm-hmm. They had very little help. I mean, it was they did not have a lot of money with the athletic department. And so when I was already done with, with basketball, I decided I was just going to email my coach. Now, I'm, I'm a captain. I've been a captain three out of the four years that I played basketball. I was a resident leader at my college. I, I led the, the floor. So that just to give you an idea of um, I wasn't some troublemaker. And so I emailed my coach and I said, I would love to just volunteer my time, help as a practice player, as a coach. And he said, well, you better come in so we can talk about this. So I did, um, and you know, I thought we were going to talk about maybe some job that could be possibly opening, building my resume for this future basketball coaching job. And he closed the door when I got into his office, and he said, you know, um, with you being off the team and then two other girls that were lesbians, one was my ex-girlfriend, Ashley, <laughs> if you guys remember, um, they had transferred out, and he said, we got rid of all that. And so uh, we don't want you around the team. Wow. And I remember sitting there and I was almost in tears. And he said, you know, it's nothing personal. (laughs) And then he got up and he gave me a hug. And I just remember walking out and I called my mom in tears. And she was like, honey, it's okay. You know, you'll have other opportunities. And 
then she called back soon after and she's like, no, that's wrong. Like, I mean, you should be upset about it. I'm sorry that I even said that was okay. But looking back, I, there's times I want to write him a thank you note. I don't know where he is. I know he ended up probably getting released from, I don't know if he got fired, released, went to another job, but um, I would love to write him a thank you note and, and say, because of that door that closed, it opened another opportunity for mm -hmm. me, and I probably would not be here today. I'd probably be coaching basketball somewhere, uh, which probably would have been, you know, I would have been content, but I don't think I would have actually found my, my love again in football. You wouldn't have made history. Absolutely. I bet we could find him on Facebook. We probably, <laughs> we probably could. Now, you've, you've said that was the first time you really encountered uh, that kind of a reaction to your yep. sexual orientation. You grew up in a small town in Kansas in a religious family. I think lots of folks on the coasts and elsewhere would think that would be an everyday experience. What don't we understand about Kansas? I think one thing that we don't understand or that we fail to realize is that oftentimes we stereotype people uh, no matter what it is or, or who they are, um, whether it's for good or bad, we stereotype. And I think if we go into a situation where because they're from a small town, because they're super religious, if we assume that they're, n they're not going to be welcoming to who we are, we're, we're closing off ourselves to a what could potentially be a beautiful relationship. And um, I saw that in my mentor, Scott Pioli, where uh, I almost didn't open up to him about my life because I had already had this preconceived idea that he wasn't gonna accept me. Uh, and, and that's something that I think we all need to be a little bit more aware of when we enter into situations that we can't always assume that because of someone's background or who they are, that they're automatically gonna feel one way about who, who we are as people. Mm -hmm. That really directly applies to even on the field in the NFL. I mean, for many of us who watch and, you know, it's, a, it's entertainment, we, know, we don't know a lot about what goes on on the field and there are a lot of stereotypes. So I could see that applying yeah. um, you know, with what you do. And so how do you connect with, you know, a, a male-dominating sport like football and everything else that we know of football through TV. Yeah, well, to me, coaching is really, it's two things, it's leading and it's teaching. And I don't think in any other situation, you know, where we would grow up and tell people that women can't be teachers, they can't teach boys. I, I don't think there's ever situations where we say women can't be leaders. And this is just one of those where we have this, this idea that women don't play football, don't know football. And that was one reason I wanted to show you guys this video is a lot of times people think I'm here and um, I'm just kind of the token female that happened to get a chance to coach and I never, I never really knew what football was. Or, but in reality, you know, I, I played for eight years. I um, played for Team USA. And it, it just it goes to show you that there's just so much more you know, then, then oftentimes we, we stereotype people. And so connecting with these guys, whether, whether it's teaching, whether it's leading, these guys are here to get better. And if they know and they trust that you're that person that's going to help them on that avenue to get better, I, I mean, that's all it takes. I, I think a lot of times we hear from folks who are in work situations that it really matters what the organization's atmosphere is, the, 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 the environment kind of top down. You've worked for the Falcons, you're now with the 49ers. What are those two organizations like in the respect to yeah. creating its people's diversity? Absolutely, both organizations are huge with uh, the type of people that they bring in. And you'll hear Kyle Shanahan talk about, um, you know, everyone always says, what type of culture are you gonna create? And, and he said, there's not a specific type of culture that I wanna create. It's about, I bring in the right people and the people will create the culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what has happened when you have the leadership that's all about who, who we're getting as not only players, but as people, as, as men, as women, uh, that you see that respect just pass on just because of not, it's, it's not what they're supposed to do. It's they know that that's what makes the team better and that I'm here for a reason. And when you find those people that just fall in line with that culture, I think you can't go wrong. And have you ever had trouble with either of these teams with a player who didn't accept you or 
explanation no. another no I, I wish I had some good story to tell you but <laughs> well I, that's yeah. good news to hear though yeah. right yeah. I mean it doesn't make for a funny story but you know I wish I had something where I like kicked some guy out of practice he was, <laughs> you know but um, I've I've encountered nothing but respect and uh, I, I felt like these guys have my back mm -hmm. um, just like I have theirs how does it feel to hold that title of you know history maker change maker, someone opening doors possibly for the future. And you just shared a story when we first started of a coach who hasn't come out yet, but I mean, I think even just confiding in you in that way is a huge step. Yeah. I, I never, to be honest, I don't, I don't think of myself as someone who's made history, although like I do read the headlines and I, I see, but I feel like we all make those differences in people's lives every single day. And that might sound Miss America, you know, fluffy, whatever statement. It's okay. You but, you know, I try. can do my little wave, but yeah. it's true. And, and I think that mine just happened to, to, to be a headline. Um, and, but we all, with the decisions that we make every day, have a, the ability to impact somebody. And um, whether it's on the front of a newspaper or whether it's, you know, sitting at a kitchen table, I think we've all made history in some way or changed some life. So I, I don't like to think of myself necessarily as someone who has made history. I'm just following the lead of other female that you know females that have blazed a trail. Mm -hmm. But you must be hearing from women, women your age as well as girls, yeah. um, who are excited about the role you're in and such. I mean, what do they say? What are they excited about? And are, are those girls looking at you and saying, I can do that? I, yeah, I, I've talked to a lot of young girls that um, have talked about how they want to be coaches. They want to coach football. And, and to see girls that are, you know, at a point where I was at, at that age where I thought women couldn't play football, um, to see them actually knowing that that's possible. And when I go to speak to these schools and I talk about boys sports, you know, typical boys sports and girls sports. And they're telling me there's no such thing. And they're like yelling that at me. I'm like, I wish I knew that when I was your age, but thanks for reinforcing that. Um, so I, I just see that change, you know, everywhere I go. And, yeah. and that's, that's what energizes me is, is hearing from those, those young people. Yeah. It's funny. Cause you know, my family, they're diehard Niner fans. And so every game, I think the women are the loudest and the women are the most, mo most critical spectators you know, when we're watching me I don't know what happened some the football gene or whatever it was it went out the door and into poetry uh, that's okay <laughs> uh, so let's talk about football very quickly because uh, I would get in trouble by my family without asking you you know they want to know what's what do you think what are you excited for for the new season and you know what do you what do you think about building a strong team and, and the chances we might have in this new it's a season, right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh. You, are, you are two for two. You said football, and then you said season. Great. We're, we're, we're going in the right direction. Um, I, I'm really excited for this season. You know, I think that, uh, like I talked about culture and, and what, you, what you create, the positive environment, I think if you look at any team and you just throw up the record six and ten, anyone would say, well, that's not a great record. But then if you put 0 oh and 9 right before it, everything changes. And um, for you know, a coach like Kyle to, to build this culture by putting the right people in place, where you have an 0-9 record and you still have a team that knows they're not going to playoffs, that, but continues to play harder than any other team and can end the season six and 10, I mean, that's something that I, I don't think anyone can even uh, I comprehend how, how huge that is to just know that you've created something that can start 0-9, that can continue to build hope and um, success. You know, it's something that you don't see very often. So I'm, I'm super excited for this, for this season. I know that with the positive culture, with just the people that we have in the room, it's, it's going to be a good year. So what can people who've been watching these games over the years, what will be different this next year? What should they be watching? Or what key players are maybe going to be doing something different or something that... You know, winning games is hard in the NFL. 
And that's, that's one thing that you'll hear Kyle talk about. And so even though we are on a, a winning streak, it, wins don't just come easy just mm-hmm. because we have, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo or everything has to, has to come together. And that's, that's why training camp is so important. That's why it's going to be so fun to just get back to work this next week and, and just really see where we're at. Because when you have that chemistry and that, as I continue to say, positive culture, and it comes together um, with, with the momentum that we had coming off last season, I think that there, you know, there's a lot of exciting things that you can expect. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to come out here and say, you know, what it is that we're going to win or you know, all that stuff. 16-0. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say all that. Um, but I, but I will tell you that it's going to be an exciting year. And, uh, you know, with, with Jimmy leading the way at quarterback, and we, we have a lot to look forward to. I was thinking you were going to come out here and give us maybe just some secrets, like you've got secret plays or something that you've already, like, <laughs> thought about. Yeah, just between us and everyone watching and listening. I would love, give I would us love the for you to give us a play. <laughs> <laughs> It would look something like, I don't know, the dance floor of a gay club. <laughs> that, to me, is a touchdown. Um, <laughs> we could but, relate the two. Yeah. You, know, you have your DJ that could, you know, potentially be the center, you know. Exactly. And then we, yeah. We could, we could go there. I, teach, I could see myself teach you being, you know, your assistant assistant and teaching um, gay hands <laughs> on the football field. But in all seriousness, I mean, you know, the NFL, it's so interesting. It's taken this different uh, experience for some of us where, you know, it, it was this American traditional sport. We're watching it with our family, whether you're a big football fan or not. And then all of a sudden, boom, this explosion. Um, and, and some people saying the politi- uh, politicizing it has destroyed, you know, what it meant for some of them. What do you feel? What do you think? You're going into politics now. I, I mean, we don't, you know, that kind of, threw a lofty ball at you without wanting to go into specifics. I warned her we were going to talk about the Trump-Putin summit. (laughs) (laughs) But but I think, you know, if you are in the sport and you're in it and obviously passionate about it, um, I could imagine that it might be disheartening in in a little bit to focus on things that are important to us, but I'm not sure that matter on the field. Yeah. And, and this relates to how I feel, you know, as a female coach, as I feel like the best way that I can make change is by doing my job and doing it well. And, you know, I can go out and I can preach to everybody about how good of a coach women can be. I can, you know, I can speak at every different conference possible. Um, but if I'm not going out every day and doing the little things and doing my job, and focusing on the X's and O's, that's what's going to make everything else better. And it, it seems, you know, small and it seems insignificant. But to me, every little detail, doing the small things every day, the small parts of my job, that's what improves women. That's what improves politics. That's what improves. It branches out and it's just a domino effect. So that's what I focus on every day. I try to stay away from everything else. And I just do my job because in the end, that's what's going to create more opportunities. I would just throw in, I mean, I think the fact that, you know, the, the protests and various things became such a big thing really shows the centrality of, I mean, Sunday afternoon football that, you know, in this country where, you know, I was telling her earlier, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where it doesn't matter if you liked football or not, that's what you were watching a Sunday after church. Um, and for most of my youth, they were horrible. <laughs> it gets better. That's, that was my message. Um, so you're a part of the NFL now. Your goal, though, is to become a head coach, right? Absolutely. So do you have a plan to do this? Or, I mean, how, 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 how do you see yourself getting to that point? I, I see myself just growing as a coach, growing, um, you know, I, I'm next step, you know, continue to move up the chains at some point, mm-hmm. whether it's 10 years from now, whether, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me as long as I know that uh, the position that I'm in is making a difference and, and I know that I'm contributing, that's what's going to be the most important. And when I know that that's my next step is, is to be a head coach far down the road, um, I, I definitely know that 
I'll know when, when that time has come. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I think in any, no matter what it is that you do, if you know that you can contribute and you can make the team better, that's what it's about. I don't want the, I don't do it for the title. You don't do it for the headline. You do it because it, am I in a position where I can make this team better? And when the answer is yes, you know, that's where I'll, I'll go. Well, it's right around that time in which we open up for the audience to contribute and ask your questions for Katie. And so we've got these cards for you. Um, yeah, there are some cards spread throughout the room. Hopefully you've got pens or pencils. If you have any questions you want to write down, uh, Trisha will pick them up and bring them up here. But um, uh, While we wait for some questions, uh, I, I, I had a question about, yeah, it's, it's, it's football. It's football related. I mean, I have to ask this question. One, it was about what you're excited for for this year, and then the, the, the second question for my family. Not for me, but my, for, for my family. <laughs> asking for a friend, yeah. Yeah, asking for a friend. You know, they really, they want, they really want to get to the, the Super Bowl, um, aside from knowing that as a coach, you can inject some positivity in that. What do you think? Do you think we can get there? You know, I, I think obviously anybody right now has a chance to get to the Super Bowl. I, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, as long as you're in the NFL, you know, you have a chance to get there. But I would say, you know, for us, one thing that's really exciting is this is the second year that our guys are, are, are um, really digging into Kyle's offense. You know, last year it was the first year. And, and so, you know, anytime you learn something new, you have that bumpy road of, of learning a new system, of um, very complex system. Uh, but now these guys, most of these guys, this is their second year. So, you know, we're already, in my opinion, far ahead, you know, with, with just the learning curve, you know. And, and um, so I think you'll see some improvements there. And I, I, I am excited to see how far our guys can grow. Woo. Someone in the audience asks, what aspect of coaching do you enjoy most and why? Mine, I, I'm a natural teacher by nature, mm -hmm. and so I would say just the the idea of teaching and and, um, and leading people and seeing that growth. Like uh, you know, in, in one of the preseason games, we had a young rookie who continued just to drop the ball, and um, but he had so much talent. And I remember just reading about how important Bill Walsh always said the four most important words you can say to somebody is "I believe in you," mm -hmm. and um, so that was the, something that I remember that that game. I said, you know, you have the ability to be one of the best players, and mm -hmm. uh, you could just see his attitude change and, and just the turnaround. Wow! Um, so the the ability to have an impression on somebody like that is huge. Do you want me to? Do you want to read some of these, or do you want? Oh no, go ahead, John. Okay, this one will get you in trouble. I think it says oh, locker room talk. Any issues or funny stories? Hmm. You know, we, I haven't had too many funny stories. There was a funny incident that happened where one of our offensive linemen was, you know, dropping his drawers when one of the, the news stations was in there. Um, and so he, uh, you know, got everything on camera. Um, so that was kind of a funny, you know, joke around the locker room after that happened, poor guy. But he took it great. I mean, he was... But yeah, I'll try. I'll try to. Um, I'll try to get some funny stories this season <laughs> that I can that I can share. But unfortunately, just not not anything crazy. Okay. What is the most challenging part of your job? The most challenging part of my job, I would say, is being so far from my family. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can work however many hours they need me to work. But oftentimes it's just, you know, I, I'm from Kansas and, and sometimes you just miss your family. And I think that's, you know, as crazy as that seems, that's, that's probably honestly the hardest part. Okay. Someone else asked a question. I'm going to merge this with another question here. Uh, what is your favorite thing about game days? When it comes to the actual game, is your job pretty much done? You're just kind of watching and biting your fingernails or are you actually involved I'm involved. Um, so prior to the game, we have um, some of our younger guys, we call them Plan D. They, they come out and we, um, we work them out. So I, am, I play a pretty, pretty big role in that. But then also during the games, I'm in the box and I'm uh, in charge of just tracking all of the plays, formations, everything that we do throughout the whole game. And so that's, I, you know, I'm on the headset listening in and... Um, making sure we track all that. But my favorite part is just the excitement of 
of competition, of that family feel, you know, that I got your back, you got mine, uh, that you get through sport, that you don't get in a lot of other places. Jump in whenever you want. I don't want to hog this, but (laughs) when are you going to publish a memoir and what will be the most controversial topic in the book? Oh, boy. Well, I will say I am keeping a journal Ah. um, that I, you know, when I feel frustrated or when I feel happy or when I'm sitting on the plane traveling to Washington, D.C., and I, I feel, you know, like my young self is coming out thinking about, you know, what I would have thought if I would have told myself back then that I would be here right now. Um, So I keep track of all that stuff. And so I I do plan on maybe doing something with it someday. Uh, There are some stuff in there that I might have to X out some pages. (laughs) But but yeah, you know, there's probably a lot that could uh, be controversial, but uh, that's life. We hope to have you back here on your book tour. (laughs) Um, Do you find that players approach you to discuss their own questions around gender and sexual orientation? I have not had any players come up to me during season. I I have talked to former players, many former players, um, had some pretty interesting discussions about um, if anyone has heard of Ryan O'Callaghan's story who um, came out real big offensive lineman, um, good player. And, you know, we, he, he's coming out with a book and his book is going to be quite interesting, but, uh, he, he pretty much talked about how, uh, football for him was a cover up. Um, meaning what? Uh, it was a cover up oh, of, 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 of his own sexual orientation because he was gay and, um, playing football was the most masculine thing you could do. Wow. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had some pretty intense conversations with former players couple questions here that I'll merge together because one asks about whether you're are there any football players you get starstruck over and another person asks when you grew up who were your sports heroes so who were the folks that uh, you either cut out their pictures and put them on the wall or at least you followed every time you'd grab the newspaper and and see what they were up to so um, I don't get starstruck over players um, over people in general I don't I always feel like people are people Mm -hmm. and they all tie their shoes the same way we do, except I do bunny ears. Like I can't do the, (laughs) so maybe they tie the shoes the way most people do, not me. Um, But some sports heroes, Troy Aikman, Deion Sanders, I have all these little drawings. I would just like draw their cartoon. I made them look so bad, but I thought they looked good on those pictures or something. (laughs) But um, those were my heroes and especially Deion Sanders for some reason. He was so important to me and I wore his jersey every day to school. Have you met him? I've never met him. No. Deion, if you're watching or listening, (laughs) reach her through the 49ers. Give me a call. Just to add to that, I mean, I I wonder if um, there are any teams, you know, that you think we should be focused or, or that are considered, uh, big rivals or that we, yeah. Right. For the Niners. For for the Niners. Yeah. You know, the Seahawks are always big rivals. Yep. So, um, uh, with Richard Sherman joining our team, I know that those games are going to be really exciting. We play them late in the season. It's going to be a cold December in Seattle. And then, then, you know, we play th- two times within three weeks, I believe. So it's going to be a fun time, but they've, they're always a, always a big rival, and they're always a good team. Many young people do not have access to college and college sports. So what are other paths they can take to work in a professional sport as a coach? Is, is there a route for them, or does it all go through the collegiate uh, thing? And are there mentoring opportunities for such people? Absolutely. Uh, you know, before I got into this NFL world, I was actually an admissions counselor at a a university in Kansas City. And I was huge on getting kids out and to shadow jobs because there's so many jobs in the sports industry. We all think that, you know, we grow up and we want to be professional athletes. And that's kind of what we all think is sports related. But there's so many other things in sports that you could, you can get involved in sports, but also you don't have to play, you know, so, but you don't know that it exists until you see it. 
just like I was saying with, you know, you don't know the opportunity exists until you actually see it in front of you. And so to get kids out just to see what is out there is crucial for that. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Someone asks um, about kind of the different roles of coaches and you know head coach over everything defensive coordinators, all this kind of stuff. Maybe this is a good time for you to talk about what your, your, who you work with there, what your responsibilities are. And then if you wouldn't mind kind of talking about, well, if you, your goal is to be head coach, do you kind of want to have various assistant coaching positions so you kind of work with entire right. teams? So right now I work with um, the wide receivers. So I assist, uh, pretty much with all the practice that goes on with, with those drills. And um, also I'm involved in um, the scripts for practice and then as well as drawing run plays. I've, I've moved up this year. They're giving me even more responsibilities. We'll actually um, have a chance to draw up all of our 11 personnel run plays and, um, and really get in, dive into, you know, all of those blocking schemes. Let me ask a Michelle question. Draw up the run plays mean you actually plan who's going to run where and, and such. I I am not the one who actually gets to plan. Okay. Who who runs where? Um, but I I take you know for, whether it's from Kyle or from Mike McDaniel's or Mike Lafleur, those guys were really in charge of of really coming up with the the ideas of the plays. Um, I'll take those and and draw up what they're what they're looking at. Okay. Um, what has been the proudest moment of your career so far? The proudest moment of my career uh, is probably, it's not really one moment, but it, it's, I guess, thinking back to when I was little and the list that I used to make about, um, you know, my Christmas list was Dallas Cowboys helmet, Dallas Cowboys helmet, Dallas Cowboys helmet, and, or, and suit. And I spelled suit wrong, and I was probably way too old for to be selling, to, to be spelling that wrong. But uh, looking back and realizing, really, just how much I love football, and then mm -hmm. seeing how far I've come, is probably altogether my proudest moment. Um, and this question actually reminds me of things that Phil Jackson did in the basketball world. But someone asked if, do you think more mindfulness and meditation for players? has a role in not only changing the image of kind of the, the football person, but um, actually helping them in any way in, in the way they approach their sport. Yeah, anytime we can get away from stereotypes uh, is, is gonna benefit all of us. Mm -hmm. And whether that's um, yoga, our players have voluntary yoga that they, they can participate in. Um, and, and all of that where you have a chance to just calm down, relax, um, it helps, and it helps you grow emotionally, physically, and so if we can stay away from, you can only, you know, 
do masculine things, you know, stereotypical masculine things to get better at football, that's absolutely wrong. Um, and, and all of that stuff. I, I'm a huge believer in um, meditation and, and just relaxing your mind. Someone asks about, let's see, how to rephrase this. Um, you're obviously a trailblazer as a woman, as an LGBTQ person in, in the NFL, very male-dominated male dominated. team, uh, uh, industry, if you will. Um, would you want, would it be, how would it be different if you were doing this with a professional women's football team? Yeah, I, you know, I would love to have a chance to do this with a women's team. Not that I, you know, not that it would be better or worse, but um, I, I do hope to see a day where I have the opportunity to see what the differences are. Because right now, women pay to play and they uh, have volunteer coaches yeah. that don't make anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, if that day, if I, hopefully when that day comes, I hope I'm still here to see it. Um, someone asked, we were talking about the story about the uh, basketball coach in college who didn't want to even let you be a volunteer. What door opened after the other one closed to make you want to send a thank you note to the former coach? So after that whole thing happened, uh, I, I had to figure out what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. um, I was this former athlete that felt like now I've lost my identity as an athlete, as um, I feel like my the the building blocks of building my resume are now down the tube. And you know, so I, I, I had to figure it out. And I went online and started Googling women's tackle football because I saw like an ESPN clip of like there was some clip of a, on the top 10 of some female play. And so I remember just looking for a team close by to where I was. And I found one in Kalamazoo, Michigan, the West Michigan Mayhem. And so that's where I started playing football. What a and, name. And yeah, and, and so once I started to uh, play football, I, I came back and I, that's where my second chance really happened, where I, I started to realize I could coach football. Mm -hmm. um, are you learning as much from the other coaches as you're teaching? Uh, I've heard that from a number of teachers that they actually learn as much from their students. Sometimes they're learning from other people in the faculty. Where, where do you learn? Where do you learn more? I, I learn from every person I meet, whether it's a coach, whether it's a player, whether it's in the cafeteria. Whether I mean, it's the NFL is a culture, yeah. um, and and you you grow every day. And if you're not learning in any business, if you're not learning. Uh, you're not getting better and you're not, you're not going to move yourself forward. And so I take any opportunity I can to learn from other coaches, to learn from their experiences, to learn from their mistakes, to um, just talk about life, how they've handled the stresses of NFL, of, of the culture, and, and take everything I can. Uh, do you have an advantage as a female coach or as an LGBTQ coach? I, I think... No matter who you are, you can always find an advantage. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't say because I'm a woman, I have an advantage because, you know, that, that would be ignorant. But I do think that because of the person that I am, I think we all have strengths. And I, I do think that a lot of times players feel um, pretty comfortable to open up mm. to, you know, talk about their problems. And I don't think it's because I'm a woman. I think it's just because of what I bring um, within the diversity of the coaching staff. Someone asked, and I apologize, I don't know the, the history of this. What is your take on the Jonathan Martin story? What am I missing on that? The Jonathan Martin story. He was bullied in Miami. Oh, OK, OK, Thank I know you. the, the lineman. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Oh, OK, that was OK. Before, before my 49ers time. Um, you know, that I don't know a lot of detail about that, so I, I don't really want to speak too much on that. Um, but I will say that bullying that goes on in teams, a lot of times in, in any workplace, we have bullying that takes place. And a lot of times when there's a high-pressure job, you'll see that, right? And um, it's all about conflict management, though. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. And that's, that's another place where you can grow from those situations because you know the, the, the climate that you're getting into. And um, if you can better 
have preventative maintenance with a lot of those situations and know what you're getting into, mm -hmm. uh, you can better lead your team to success because you're not going to encounter those obstacles. So although I don't know too many details about the story, I do, you know, I obviously that stuff happens no matter where you're at. And it's not just an NFL problem. It's just a societal problem. And, it, and it's something that we all need to focus on. Yeah. Michelle. So we, we get to end in the last 10 minutes, and I kind of did that on purpose. Those were really, really, really yes. good questions. Um, I want to end on a you know hopeful note in that for the NFL, we talk about diversity, we talk about leadership, and we talk about hopefully some changes that could happen, and not just for any one person, but for everyone. Could you see you know some of those changes, and is, is that... Is that the hope that something, some, something as big of an organization as the NFL and uh, the problematic issues that we've been reading about and hearing from the experiences within the NFL, from player to spectator and so on, um, I see you as someone who is part of that change, that that's proof that some things can change for the better. Absolutely. And I think this year, what you guys will find, there's going to be a lot of female intern coaches that are, you know, there's gonna be one in Carolina, there's uh, one in Buffalo, there's gonna be one in Baltimore, I believe. Uh, and until, like, until there, there's a day when a female can be hired on as a coach and it's not a headline, I don't think we're gonna see success until that happens. And once we can live in an environment where that's no longer a headline, that's when we see progress. Just to kind of add a little bit more to that, but do you think that NFL leadership will take a stronger uh, position and be a little bit more active in making it less, you know, less of a bullying culture, less anti-LGBT, um, less of a gap between gender and so forth? Yeah, I, I definitely see change and in, in progress, and I think we're moving, we're definitely moving in the right direction. And uh, I do, I do believe that they're, they're going to stand on the right side of history, you know, and, and I think we're going to hopefully continue to progress in that, in that direction. And, and this, these, this just shows you just a little slice of, of that progress and seeing more and more women um, getting into the field that, you know, a lot of times they didn't have the opportunities that a lot of the men had in, in terms of um, college athletics, in terms of playing D1 football and knowing this coach and knowing that you know, former teammate, just giving people more opportunities is going to be crucial. And that's progress. And that, and we're moving in that direction. When Kyle Shanahan came to the 49ers from uh, the Atlanta Falcons and brought you, he brought you as part of something called the Bill Walsh, Walsh Diversity uh, Coaching, excuse me, Coaching Diversity Fellowship. What, what exactly does that mean? And were you diverse because you're female or was it about the orientation? Yeah, so I am qualified as a female, okay. um, but I, when I first applied for that uh, fellowship, there was no place for me to put that I was a female. There was no place to put that I was white. Yeah. There was no place to put that I played women's tackle football. It was like, talk about your D1 experience, talk about your NFL experience, and I'm like, man, this makes me feel like I'm a piece of, you know, <laughs> S-H-I-T. But, uh, you know, and so they ended up reworking the whole, um, Scott Pioli is, is on the board and, and he really helped in, um, you know, fixing the language that we use. And, and so I didn't feel like, you know, I almost gave up filling that out because I'm like, there is no way I'm going to be picked because I, there's nothing for me to write here. I, I can't explain. Well, I didn't play in the NFL, but I played the highest level I could play, you know, I hope that counts. Team well, isn't USA? that diversity yeah. bringing in non-football players? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, um, but yeah, so that's, that's really where, where it started and it was kind of a, um, obstacle to get through, but it, it's grown so much, but, uh, it's just really, like I said, trying to give people an opportunity who might not have had an opportunity prior to really get their foot in the door and, um, get that experience. Cause that's crucial. Wow. Well, Katie, thank you so much for this awesome opportunity to speak to you and, uh, great insight. And it does, you know, from the hope perspective, um, that is good news. Yeah, is. There, there will be some changes, and there's changes with you. My very last question just came through via text, and I have to ask <laughs> this question. Ugh. 
um, is if you, uh, you and Liz, your twin, you know, if you're in a relationship. I, sorry, I just had to add, <laughs> I had the tweet. I am single and Liz is in a relationship, but I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> it only happens here on the Michelle Miao Show. Thank you so much for joining us today. The Michelle Miao Show airs on Progressive Voices Network Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. You can also catch the local television show on KBCW, or you can head to commonwealthclub.org for all the shows that we do here. You can join us next Thursday live here. John and I do an LGBTQ inclusive program at noon. Thank you to Visa for sponsoring this amazing talk again to Katie and the 49ers. And I guess I should end with Go Niners! Yeah.